Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation The Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Summer Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com My little Valentine Sweet Coming Valentine Make me smile With my heart Your looks are laughable Is it less than Greek? Is your mouth a little weak when you don't it to speak? Are you smiling? Baby, are you smart? But don't change your hair for me. Not if you care for me. Stay. Little Valentine. Stay. Stage day is Valentine. 
day. Thank you.
less than Greek Is your mouth a little weak When you open it to speak, baby Are you smart? So smart Don't Don't change your hair for me Not if you care one little thing for me Stay Little Valentine Valentine's Valentine's everybody this is the Tom Sumner program and uh, in addition to having uh, Valentine's Day right in the middle of it uh, February is also American Heart Month and we're going to talk about innovations in uh, children's cardiac care with uh, an expert in the field Dr. Jonathan Chen is uh, chief of cardiothoracic surgery in the cardiac center at Children's Hospital of uh, Philadelphia, um, along with a number of other credentials, but he joins me now by phone, um, Dr. Jonathan Chen. Jonathan, uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Great, thanks very much. Good morning to you. Um, let me let me ask, um, how big a problem is uh, congenital heart disease in infants? Uh- well, congenital heart disease affects about one in 120 babies in, in the United States every year. So that's about 40,000 babies will be born with congenital heart disease. Now, not all of those will require an intervention, but you will know people whose children, or you may have children, who have congenital heart disease. It's the most common birth defect uh, in, um, in um, uh, newborns. And these days, um, probably 85 to 90 percent of those kids born with congenital heart disease will live to be adults. And so um, there's actually an emerging field of what we call adult congenital heart disease, which are those children who then 
uh, sort of graduate, if you will, into adulthood. Uh, and that's a ever-growing population. So actually, the statistics now are there are more adults alive with repaired and unrepaired congenital heart disease than children. Um, so that's a whole new, uh, you know, final frontier for us in terms of uh, taking care of folks as they grow through all of their adulthood. Is it easy to pick up, or can it go unnoticed? Um, it kind of depends on how serious the heart disease is. There's a, there's a lot of um, what we sort of benign heart disease. So what you may hear people refer to an innocent murmur, for example. That's just a uh, a um, sound that, that physicians will hear by stethoscope uh, that reflects some mild form of heart disease that, that won't probably ever become a problem in the, in the child's life. Other things uh, are detected actually in, in the delivery room. So there are some uh, complex congenital heart problems uh, that will uh, cause both low blood pressure or low oxygen levels uh, right there at delivery. And those are actually very um, uh, dangerous and, uh, generally speaking, require an emergent procedure, either catheter-based or surgery. The reason I asked about that, if if any of these uh, conditions might go unknown, is, um, you know, every, every once in a while um, we hear one of these stories in the news about a, a high school... Uh, or college athlete who, you know, in the in the prime of being extremely healthy and getting lots of exercise and the right food and and um, and all of that, will all of a sudden just drop dead, and and people are always a little shocked. And I'm wondering if there isn't some congenital heart disease connected uh, to these episodes. Uh, yeah, well, there's there certainly are these unfortunate circumstances like you're referring to, um, and they can be related to a number of different things. The most common are um, abnormal heart rhythms, and that falls into the, the general category of congenital heart disease in children. Uh, and those are the sort of commonish stories of athletes that you're pointing out who uh, have a sudden event, you know, while playing basketball, for example. There are a um, minority of patients who will have... Um, actual, uh, say, aortic rupture. That's pretty uncommon, um, and it's something that is um, often diagnosed based on a bunch of other things that the pediatrician, the general pediatrician, would figure out first. So that's relatively rare to have someone uh, have, say, an aortic, uh, a primary aortic problem that they didn't know about. Uh, but the most common of these uh, children who, or, or teenagers usually, who have events while playing are uh, arrhythmia events. That's why defibrillators have been so important in their distribution in schools because those have been literally lifesavers. There's something where um, even 10 years ago they weren't as prevalent, uh, but they save many, many, many lives a year. More with Dr. Jonathan Chin from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. 
If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with Dr. Jonathan Chen from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Straight ahead. At at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, you've done um, a, a lot of catheterization procedures, but... Um, you've done other procedures as well, up to and including heart transplants. Um, what's what's new in the world of treating heart disease in infants and, and young children? 
Oh, well, that's a, how long is your show? <laughs> that discussion could go on for hours. Um, there's a, there are a lot of different um, uh, exciting things that are going on, I'd say, in kind of firing on all cylinders, if you will. Um, in surgery, there are lots of new uh, approaches that we're taking to certain, um, mo mostly in terms of the complex congenital heart problems. Uh, as you're pointing out, there are catheter-based solutions. Those are, uh, you know, those those advance pretty quickly with technology because, um, for example, transcatheter valves like what Mick Jagger got, uh, they're making more and more of those uh, available to children, which is great. Um, there are what we call hybrid procedures. So there were, those are operations and catheter-based procedures we do together uh, as a team where the catheter guys will do their part and the surgeons will do their part. Uh, and those have broadened the um, applicability of both the new surgeries and the new technologies and catheter-based procedures. And then, thankfully, there are advances being made in medications, too. So I think uh, on the horizon, if we look forward to the next, you know, 10 to 20 years, we would hope to see some change in the kinds of medications, in particular for heart failure in children. Um, right now, as you're pointing out, we do perform transplants uh, for children. Actually, our team just did one this past weekend. Uh, and um, the, uh, again, a growing population are those um, adolescents and uh, teenagers who are able to be supported with mechanical heart assist devices to get them to transplant. So that's like what Dick Cheney had. He had what's called an LVAD, a left ventricular assist device. And those are being miniaturized for children. Uh, the adult-sized ones are being used for adult-sized kids. Uh, and that has changed the um, survival rate to transplant quite a bit because there are a lot of children who used to uh, succumb while waiting for a transplant because the waiting time is actually pretty long. So I think if there were um, an important takeaway from your show, it would be sign your donor card because uh, organ donation in the United States is the uh, limiting factor to life-saving transplantation. Uh, and um, strangely enough, even if you check it off on your, on your um, driver's license, uh, still there are some complexities around the time of, um, say, motor vehicle accidents and so forth in which the, you know, you're not connected with your the wallet. And so uh, those, those organs will go unused. So I would say if there's a, a plug I can make for organ donation, it would be um, talk to your family, express your interest, and make sure that you sign your donor card. I'm glad you brought... Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, and, and I wanted to just um, ask, because it seems like it would be... Uh, tough. What do uh, people do um, that that need a heart in a young person? I would think it would be tough to find young people who. Um, I, I would think it'd be tough to find available hearts for transplant. Um, it is, and and is. just it because, is. and that's been yeah, and and I and I'm wondering how the permissions even work in young people who don't yet have state-issued IDs or driver's licenses, where they can just simply mark that preference? Right. Yes. Good question. So um, uh, donor hearts are very hard to find for children, in particular for infants and uh, babies. Um, and uh, sadly, it's not that there's not babies and infants who could be candidate donors. It's just that it's hard to get the, you know, the word out. Uh, and um, in answer to your question, the parents or the caregivers, whoever has legal uh, guardianship, are the, those who can um, sign permission for organ donation in babies and infants and children. Um, and um, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously a very uh, difficult emotional time uh, 
during that window in which the, these these uh, um, potential organ donors are candidates. And so it's, you know, it's a delicate dance. It's much easier with adults who can express, as you're pointing out, their own wishes. It's a little harder for uh, children. But I do think it's, you know, when you consider that for a relatively healthy donor, a uh, that one um, child can can provide uh, potentially uh, organs to about probably eight to ten other children and help them survive. So the impact of one donor is actually quite um, profound. Now, I, I uh, Jonathan, I cut you off, and I, and I didn't mean to, but I was just so curious about uh, the availability of of donor organs for patients that young. Um, you were talking about uh, some of the uh, some of the new procedures and and some of the innovations to the procedures that are involved with uh, life saving efforts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the great uh, new advances for us. Um, in, in pediatrics, which has been to some extent available in the adult world, but maybe not. It's hard sometimes to refine these things for children, are, is the uh, advanced imaging. So MRIs and CT scans, three-dimensional echocardiograms. So those are the ultrasounds of the heart that generally are uh, look a little bit like the ultrasounds you get of babies uh, in utero, but now these are solely of the heart. Those That technology is advancing incredibly quickly. And so um, this ability of ours to better understand uh, the function of the heart, the flow through the heart, and now start to start to simulate things. So we have a group here at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia who can take a uh, child's aortic valve in a, and with, the, with a straightforward cardiac CT scan, reconstruct that valve if it's um, uh, leaking or uh, too narrow, and then provide for us some conceptual repairs that we should think about uh, that would help us uh, guide our operations. And that's actually been a huge game changer for us because the more we can, um, uh, you know, uh, practice, if you will, in virtual reality, because that's what they'll do, they bring these images into virtual reality, the better we can be prepared for what we find in the operating room. Um, we do a lot of complicated uh, rerouting of the blood inside the heart in, uh, in small children with um, congenital, complex congenital heart disease. And it's extremely three-dimensional. It's very hard sometimes to um, uh, quite understand the nuances of the three-dimensionality uh, without these kind of uh, what we call cross-sectional imaging, so MRIs or CT scans. And so I would say that in general, that has really changed our um, repairability of valves in particular and, uh, and how to approach them as children. It's really it, it's spectacular technology. Um, congenital heart disease you identified as uh, the leading birth defect in infants, um, but can it develop a little later at, at age 3 or 5 or 10? Um, there, are, there are a few uh, problems that can develop later. We would probably still imagine those to be congenital, meaning that you're probably born with the genes that would cause that at age 3. Uh, but what you're pointing out is that some of these um, uh, problems can take a while to present. So they're not really acquired, but they, uh, the way, say, coronary heart disease is acquired. Uh, but yes, some of these things take a little while to come to um, to the to pre presentation. And mind you, there are there are lots and lots of children who we will know about, say, valve disease 
who we will plan to follow and who we follow throughout their entire childhood without needing anything other than a visit to the cardiologist and an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound, uh, just to see how the interval progress has been. And many um, uh, kids will, it's not that they outgrow their congenital heart disease, but that they sort of come into equilibrium with it and they don't need any other procedures. And that's in some ways the most rewarding congenital heart disease to follow of all the stuff we do because uh, that's that's a child who won't need our help other than just the occasional doctor's visit. Is there is there an understanding of of how it occurs, why it occurs, what causes uh, uh, that particular type of birth defect? Um, yeah, there's a, I don't know about an understanding. We're getting we're trying to get closer to an understanding. Uh, that's uh, one of the main uh, focuses of the of the cardiac center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is a focus on what we call the maternal fetal environment. So there's a, a big push toward, you probably heard about whole genome sequencing, so this is looking at the entirety of your genetic code to try to make associations between um, abnormalities in the genetic code and what we see in terms of the heart. We, we can identify, you know, specific weeks of gestation where we envision uh, certain abnormalities forming, but the real question is what's the root cause of those problems. Uh, one thing we do know is that what we would call an abnormal fetal environment uh, is um, as detrimental, so it's bad for the baby. So maternal smoking, for example, um, obesity, diabetes, uh, that sort of thing, those can all affect the development, uh, both of the fetus and, and probably of the heart. Uh, and so we have a lot of interest at the Children's Hospital in trying to um, answer these questions to get closer to making the uh, connections between certain genetic uh, um, abnormalities and what we think are then the consequential uh, heart problems that come from that. I was reading a, a statistic, and perhaps you could explain it a, a little bit and expand on it, that over 85% of babies born in the U.S. with congenital heart disease are now living to at least age 18. Um, is is that the expected life expectancy when when uh, CHD is diagnosed, or um, is that some statistical anomaly? Yeah, uh, yes, good question. So the, it, a little bit of this depends on what the congenital heart disease is. So again, you can have benign congenital heart disease where we would expect you to have a essentially completely normal life expectancy. What is amazing about the 85% statistic is that's taking into account all children born with congenital heart disease. That's everybody from, you know, the vast majority who are normal uh, and will live a normal life expectancy. And then the, the babies who have really complicated complex you know, heart disease where, say, the uh, we where we'll know, for example, that unrepaired, the mortality rate is 100%. So there are lethal uh, congenital heart defects that if not uh, operated on or intervened upon uh, will uh, the babies won't survive. Now, those children will undergo operations uh, for which the, you know, the operative mortality is 20%. Um, and those, that number is just, thankfully, has gotten better and better and better, so that we're down probably more in the 5% range. But sadly, there's still children who do succumb. And so if you, if you average all of those patients, the vast, vast majority of patients who are normal or who are expected of normal life expectancy, and then the complex congenital heart disease kids. That statistic is correct. So 85% of them will live into adulthood. Now, the artificial cutoff of 18 years doesn't mean that they all don't survive beyond 18 years. What that means is 85% of, of those children will go on to live into adulthood. 
Now, as we were talking about before, this um, growing population of adults with congenital heart disease is a is an interesting and challenging group because they require the expertise both of congenital heart doctors who have typically been pediatric cardiologists, and then they uh, also need the expertise of adult medicine because. Um, you know, adults have adult problems. They get pregnant. You know, they can get cancer. They smoke. You know, there are all these things that we, generally speaking, don't deal with uh, in pediatric uh, heart um, patients that then we need to sort of um, um, uh, combine these two areas of expertise to help uh, treat these patients uh, the best. And, you know, we're seeing, uh, we have, you know, there are adults who are in their 60s and 70s who've been followed with congenital heart disease who, are, who were repaired, you know, had open-heart procedures 50 years ago which is amazing. And it's actually incredible to think that, that um, a repair that was done in the early, early era of heart surgery uh, has held up to adulthood. How are uh, these uh, heart defects discovered and diagnosed? Has the, the method for that been improving with all the other technological advancements? Um, yeah, there's there's several ways. So the um, generally the general pediatricians would be the first, um, uh, often for the patients who are at home who are you know growing normally, they would be the first ones to pick up um, a heart problem, usually based on uh, exam by stethoscope. And then they refer to a pediatric cardiologist who then do an echocardiogram or an ultrasound in general. Um, there are some screening tests that happen in the delivery room. So there's um, uh, a, a national initiative. Um, which is relatively simple to do uh, and picks up quite a bit of otherwise undetected congenital heart disease. And that is a simple test of looking at oxygen uh, levels when the babies are born, upper and lower extremities. So um, there are a series of, of heart problems that will cause those numbers to be abnormal or to be discrepant. So the upper and lower are different from each other. And that's a fairly uh, sensitive way to um, start to diagnose very serious congenital heart problems. So that's, that's, Easy technology, you know, your Apple Watch, for example, will take your, your what we call pulse oximetry, right? So it'll, it'll measure your oxygen level. This is not that much more sophisticated than that. Um, and simple oxygen test screening in the nurseries before the babies go home will pick up quite a bit of congenital heart disease. Now, well, the other thing that's interesting in terms of technology is that more and more uh, congenital heart disease is being um, detected uh, in utero. So we will see... Um, you know, of the children of the newborns who are born with heart disease, these days at a place like the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, probably 85, 90% of them will have been detected prenatally. When I started in this field, you know, a million years ago, <laughs> the proportion was, was the opposite. So probably only about 10 to 15% of the children were uh, diagnosed prenatally. So what that means is if you, in the, in the old days, when you were born and you had, say, low oxygen levels, the the, you know, the laundry list of other problems that can cause low oxygen levels is very long, and congenital heart disease is not necessarily at the top of that list. And so those babies would take, it'd take quite a while to get to the right, the correct diagnosis uh, in outside hospitals. You know, they would be, which was not no fault of anyone. It's just we didn't, you know, the technology hadn't given us the answer early enough. Nowadays, uh, children can be born in the children's hospital. So, for example, we have what's called the special delivery unit, and that's a, delivery unit for healthy moms uh, who have complex kids, and they are literally born in the children's hospital, and sometimes we'll even have them deliver in the operating room if we think that the uh, condition is so serious that we may need to do an emergent procedure. 
And that's something that was almost unheard of, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so that technology alone, fetal ultrasonography preparations for fetal diagnosis has really changed our uh, impact on um, helping these babies in the first few hours of life. How often is uh, immediate intervention required right at birth? Um, it's not um, that common. I would say, you know, that the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, we perform about 1,000 operations a year. Um, I would say probably, mm, I would say maybe at most 100 times a year, we are performing some sort of um, emergency procedure in the first few hours of life. Now, some of them I was talking about, we, we, will, we will know ahead of time, and those will literally be emergency procedures that we are planning to do in the operating room. Those are very uncommon. We probably do just a handful of those a year. But there are lots of kids who require um, some procedure in those first, you know, six hours uh, just to help the blood flow go to the right places. And that underscores, in many ways, the importance of um, knowledge ahead of time of potential problems and also access to this high level of cardiac care. And it probably isn't uh, available at, at every hospital. That's correct, right. That's, um, and um, so, for example, the special delivery unit that I was talking about where we where the moms deliver in the hospital here, um, you know, we're one of the only, I think we were, we were the first, and we were one of the only still um, hospitals that have that sort of access. Um, and so we, because of that, we'll have mothers from all over the country who relocate just to be delivering here under those kind of circumstances. Um, but again, the... The importance, you know, when I was, I, I used to work in the, at Seattle Children's Hospital in the Pacific Northwest, and we would see children from all over, from Alaska, Montana, and Wyoming, and so forth. And those mothers, you know, once they got plugged into the correct care, would usually have to relocate. It, it was that serious, because you can't be too far from a place um, that has the capabilities that we're talking about. Jonathan, you've been talking about some of the things that we can do now that we couldn't do 20 years ago, 50 years ago, but what will we be doing 10 years or 50 years from now? What's, what's the future of cardiac treatment look like, and, and what kind of research is being done and where? I hope I'll be retired by then. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, I would say that there's, there's a couple um, sort of primal frontier areas. One for certain, as we've talked about, is genetics. And I think that um, if you think about what has happened in the last even five years with the human genome and our understanding of it, that is only going to get better. And I would hope that there'd be a scenario in which a pregnant mother could come, get the whole genome sequence. Um, run and we would just be able to instantly associate whether we have, you know, how many serious defects are we talking about? Is it just a cardiac problem? Can we uh, give an idea of what the, uh, you know, life, uh, quality of life and lifespan will be for a child with, you know, X number of problems? That would be fantastic. So that's on the genetic side. Um, there's, uh, I think the operations are only going to get better. Technology is only going to make things like these mechanical heart assist pumps we talked about. Those are always going to get better. And um, what is still amazing to me, so when I was, um, the, the um, cynical comment used to be, you know, they did this, uh, what's called xenotransplant was in the news about three weeks ago, or maybe a little longer, a couple months ago, performed in uh, the University of Maryland. That's a pig heart into a human. Right. We used to say when I was training that xenotransplantation was, was in the future and was always going to be in the future, meaning it was always going to be something that was unattainable. The fact that that, 
operation was performed with with success is you know that could be a huge change in the field of transplantation that we haven't even you know imagined could be true because we were all just um, uh, maybe too closed minded to accept that. Uh, but that could be a could be a giant advance for us. I mean, it, it's just it's hard to know. So you know that's in some ways what makes the the um, uh, the field of pediatric heart care um, appealing. Uh, you know, we see a lot of, uh, right, I, um, you know, mentor a lot of medical students and trainees and so forth, and they are, they're asking about their careers and whether they should go into this. And I always tell them there's so much to be done in this field. You know, there's so many unanswered questions that it needs the brightest and the best. And um, and the advancements are incredible. Just be out in the, in the and I, I joke, obviously, about how old I am, but in the relatively short time on the other side of the fence that I've been in practice, you know, we've made incredible advances in this field. So, I, you know, the, the future is bright, and a lot of it's probably beyond our even ability to, to um, speculate about. Um, my guest is uh, Dr. Jonathan Chen. He is the chief of the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery and the co-director of the Cardiac Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We've been talking about, uh, of course, uh, February being uh, American Heart Month, but but talking about innovations in cardiac care for children with heart disease. And um, Jonathan, I, I want to say thank you for spending your time and, and sharing your expertise with me and the listeners this morning, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Is is there a website that you'd like to recommend where people can dig down a little bit more on this? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tom. The, our website is probably a good place to start, uh, and that is uh, heart.chop.edu. So it's C-H-O-P for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, heart.chop.edu. And that can start um, uh, folks off in the right trajectory in terms of trying to get to some of these answers, and it also has contact information if they'd like to um, um, talk to folks here in Philadelphia. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. That was uh, Dr. Jonathan Chen from the Children's uh, Hospital of Philadelphia, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky Magazine. Flint Community Schools, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, the Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, the Genesee County Road Commission, Lone Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, the Genesee Health Plan, Flint Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. 
friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed, the tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. Collect these paper bags, and I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have yes, one. Yes, speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And, and when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor, and your mother's doctor, and your college roommate's doctor, and your best friend from high school's doctor, and your I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, get into the uh, 
find the home stretch, if you will, of our three-hour tour. I promised earlier in the show that we were going to celebrate Valentine's Day with a couple of hat tips and that we would uh, um, also be commemorating the fact that February is American Heart Month as we uh, just did this last hour <clears throat> with Dr. Jonathan Chin from the uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I promised earlier in the show that I would share some of the tips that uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel has passed down with her um, reissuing the consumer alert on romance scams in time for Valentine's Day. And uh, here are some some tips that she has. She says, uh, well, dating services, particularly online, can lead to more than romantic encounters, she said. These services, as well as shopping for Valentine's Day gifts, come with risks that bad actors will look to exploit. It's important to know how to protect yourself so looking for romance doesn't lead to financial ruin. And here are some things that... uh, A.G. Nessel recommends to protect yourself. Never give someone you haven't met money. Scammers are smart and will play on your emotions to get information they need to carry out their scam or to get your money. The Federal Bureau of Investigation reports that in the U.S., romance scams account for the highest financial losses of all Internet-facilitated crime. Uh, Be cautious with your personal information, including your financial information, contact information, and photographs of yourself. Never uh, agree to meet for the first time in a private setting. Insist on a public place where there are sure to be other people around and tell a a member of your family or a friend where you will be and when you will contact them again after the meeting. Arrange your own transportation to and from the meeting and have a working mobile phone with you, if possible, with a pre-programmed one-touch emergency number. Make sure to leave all available information about the person you will be meeting with your contact. Uh, Conduct an online reverse image search to see where else the person's image appears and whether it has been altered before you swipe right or pursue a relationship based on an online profile image. Uh, Be suspicious if the other person refuses to talk on the phone or do a video call before you meet in person. And if you're signing up for an online dating service, read your contract terms of agreement carefully before signing it. We all do that, right? Including all the five fine print so you know exactly what you're buying. Some contracts make it easy for the dating service to avoid responsibility, but difficult for customers or consumers to get their money back. Additional information, important reminder, reminders can be found um, at the Attorney General's website. So um, I promised I would share those with you. I I looked to see if she had done a little skit about romance scams, which I think would be very funny if they're anything like some of the others that we play, but to no avail. 
Anyway, uh, we'll be right back to wrap up today's show.
I'm in the mood I'm in the mood for love I'm in the mood, baby it up for today's uh, Valentine's Day edition of the Tom Sumner program also paying tribute to the fact that uh, February is uh, American Heart Month as we did this past hour with Dr. Jonathan Chen talking about uh, children's uh, cardiac care he is uh, the chief of cardiothoracic surgery in the cardiac center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Before that, we talked to clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist Lair Torrent about his book, The Practice of Love, and we started out with uh, Jason Fisher, who uh, is the author of a, a memoir called To Where You Are, Love, Loss, and Finding the Path Home. Anyway, that wraps it up. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope that you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.